<laughs> what do you think, huh? For those of you watching on the internet, the top half looks pretty good. I had to reserve the bottom half for normal. What an awesome time to be alive, isn't it? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus. We are so glad uh, that you've joined us this weekend or maybe on the internet. I want to welcome one campus especially. It's a temporary campus. I think it's temporary. I know it's a campus for this weekend. I want you guys to help me welcome the campus in Haiti this weekend that is watching my, my video. We are so glad that you guys are with us. Hey, let me ask you this. How many of you guys remember your first job with benefits? Anybody remember your first job with benefits? Some of you are still looking for that, are you? Yeah. I remember mine. I had several jobs before I got one with benefits. I mean, all of them had benefits. The benefit was I work, they pay, right? <coughs> but I remember the first one, <coughs> excuse me, that actually had benefits. I was working for Hewlett Packard Corporation in Loveland, Colorado, and I thought I'd worked there all my life. And I was really excited about the job. And I remember when my supervisor called me in and she said, I want to talk to you about the benefits. I thought, hmm, I wonder what that's about. I really did. I had no idea what was going on. She said to me, she said, okay, we have three basic benefits that you need to know about. Number one, five days a year, we declare holidays, things like Christmas and, you know, uh, Thanksgiving and Fourth of July and all that kind of thing. And on those days, regardless of where you are, you don't have to come into work and we are going to pay you as if you were here. And I'm thinking, what's up with that? You mean I'm going to be grilling burgers on the grill on 4th of July and they're going to pay me just as if I was making computer chips here at Hewlett-Packard? That's right. And she said, and the second one is this. She said, on three days during the year, when you feel really sick, we don't want you coming in. We call those sick days. And uh, we don't care what you do. You can lay at bed at home. You can watch soap operas, whatever you want to do. And we're going to pay you as if you were here. And I thought, wow, how could it get any better than that? But it did. The third benefit was this. She said, after you work at Hewlett Packard for one year, we're going to pay you for five days, one week of vacation, which means that you can, you know, you can go hiking, uh, you know, you can go fishing, whatever you want to do in Colorado, and we're going to be paying me. And I thought, how can they afford to do that? Pay me $3.50 an hour to do anything that I want. It was back when Noah had the ark. That's kind of when I worked for them. I could do anything I want. And here's what I thought. When I left that meeting, I thought, this is a great place to work. And so I went and I, and I talked to some of my other employees. I said, I can't. I just got the benefit talk. I cannot believe the benefits of working here. And some of the employees thought the exact same thing. They were so, you know, they'd been there and they were so excited about it. Said, it's a great place to work. Some of them, though, didn't. They had lousy attitudes. They complained. In fact, they complained about things that they should have been grateful for. And I thought, have you forgotten the benefits that are here? And about that time, I remember thinking, 
how, how can I keep from doing that? How can I keep from going from a place where I'm really excited about what I'm doing to, to really a bad attitude? So if you guys have been there, you know what it's about. It can happen at work. You know, at first you're really excited about it. And you, maybe it's benefits or whatever it happens to be. And you think, boy, this is great. This is a dream job. And then attitude goes. Sometimes it happens in your marriage. And it definitely can happen in your relationship with God. In your beginning days, in your beginning walk with God, there can be a sense of anticipation, a sense of excitement, especially when you learn about benefits, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. And, uh, and then over time, it just kind of goes flatline for you. Well, how do you keep that from happening? God and His Word. In fact, did you get an outline sheet as you came in? Um, if, if so, why don't you grab that? Uh, the verses that we're going to use are going to be on the screen also. But in Psalm 103 and verses 2 through 5, uh, God says something about that. And He says, here's an antidote from kind of letting your attitude go south on you in your relationship with God. Here's what He says. He says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not... Circle that if you would. Forget not all his benefits. Well, what are his benefits? We list about six of them. He says, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. He's talking to Old Testament God-fearing people. And he said, you know what? Don't ever forget the benefits. Well, this is Resurrection uh, Weekend. And so we're going to talk about the benefits of the resurrection. It's very easy to forget. And today I just want to remind you, I want to keep them up front, the benefits of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to do. I want to put it in the context of a Bible study that we've been doing here at Seacoast for several months in the book of Acts. Those of you who normally come, you know, every week we kind of try to teach from one of the chapters and go verse by verse through the chapter. And, and uh, uh, this week we're on chapter 20 of the book of Acts. And you say, well, where is the resurrection in the book of Acts? Isn't that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels? Well, yes, it is, but, but it's here too. As I was studying this week, I was going through, there are several sermons in the book of Acts. Different people preach sermons Peter preached a sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost and Stephen preached a sermon just before he was stoned to death, martyred in Acts chapter 7. Paul preaches a whole bunch of sermons and here's what I found. Every sermon in the book of Acts had one thing in common. You know what it was? They all talked about the resurrection. Some of them talked about the crucifixion. Some of them talked about God's grace. Some of them talked about God's judgment. But every one of them, every you go look it up, every single sermon in the book of Acts talked about the resurrection. And so today, in Acts chapter 20, what we find is we find that uh, Paul, who the last half of the book of Acts is about, is uh, kind of winding down. In his ministry, it's coming down toward the end of his ministry. He uh, is um, going toward Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, we'll find out later, he's going to be arrested. And he kind of knows that's going to happen. And when he's arrested, then he goes to Rome. And in Rome, he'll 
write several books, but spend most of his time in prison, and finally he will die as a martyr. And people around him know that. They kind of have that feeling that's going to happen, so they're trying to talk him out of it. And, uh, and, and so he's meeting for the last time with groups of people that he's kind of hung out with. He started churches with, and he's kind of making the rounds. And in Acts chapter 20, the first group he comes to, he decides he's going to preach a sermon. And he knows it's going to be the last sermon he's going to preach, so he cram-packs it with everything that he can, and it kind of goes a little bit long. In fact, um, in verse 9 of Acts 20, it says, as Paul spoke on and on and on and on. How many of you have been to that church? Okay. Yeah. Well, it wasn't good. I mean, it was good, but look what happened. A young man named Eticus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. <laughs> and finally he sank into a deep sleep. Don't do that today. Okay. Because here's what happened. And he fell three stories to his death below. How do you know that will ruin a good church service? Somebody falls asleep and dies. So Paul says, time out. And he runs downstairs and he prays for this guy. And the guy raises from the dead. Just an incredible thing. You know, every pastor I know always wants just a little bit more time. Now, this is somewhere else but Seacoast. You never hear me saying this. Boy, if I had time, I'd say, you know. And so guys say, you know what? Paul preached, you know, if you, you know, people really love Jesus, they'll listen to teaching. Paul preached for a long time. I'd say, yeah, you can do that if you want to, but you better have the gift of raising people from the dead. <laughs> so anyway, he raised this guy from the dead. And then he meets one last time with another group of people who are elders at Ephesus. And these guys are really good friends of his. And they're begging him, don't go, don't go, don't go. You know, it might end bad for you. Paul says this, Acts 20.22, And now I'm going to go to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Well, why in the world would you do that then? Next verse. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Here it is the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. He says, I'd gladly give up my life just to be able to share the good news that God's wonderful love. And what was God's wonderful love? It's that He gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to pay the penalty for His own sin, and your sin, and my sin, that God would do that so we could have relationship with Him. And then he says, and to tell him about the wonderful works of God. What are the wonderful works of God? It's the benefits of the resurrection. In fact, if you read his sermons, he talks about them over and over and over again. These are the benefits. Don't forget the benefits of the resurrection. You know, let me tell you this. If Christianity is just about an empty cross, then the symbol of Christianity, the cross, becomes a symbol of despair. But it's not that. The empty tomb, the benefits of the resurrection, turn that symbol, the cross, and the symbol, the tomb, not into despair, but into hope. And Paul was a peddler of hope. 
And that's what I want to do today. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about some of the benefits of the resurrection. How many? Well, I I made a list and I wanted to do about 10 or 12. But I thought that could kind of go on and on and on and somebody might fall over and die. And I'm not sure if I have the gift of raising people from the dead. And if I do, I don't want to test it out with a lot of visitors here. I'm pretty sure I don't. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of limit it to three, okay? So we're going to talk about three benefits of the resurrection that you should never forget because if you forget it, then your spiritual life will just kind of go flat, okay? So here they are. Number one, because of the resurrection, first benefit, I can be certain of my faith. I can be certain of my faith. I had a couple come to me in the, in the foyer a few weeks ago. And this, this has happened to me several times since I've been here at Seacoast. That's why I use this story. They came to me in the foyer and they said, we'd love to have an appointment with you. And I said, well, kind of what, what would you like to talk about? They said, well, they told me their story. I said, you know what? We were raised in church. We actually went to Christian schools, went to a Christian college. We got married. We've gone to church all of our lives. And we have some serious doubts. Those doubts are driving a wedge between us and God. Would you mind just sitting down with us and talking about them a little bit? I said, sure, we can do that, and we'll schedule a time in the future. But as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know what? We all have doubts, don't we? If we're we're honest, I mean, I'm a preacher. I have doubts every once in a while. Sometimes those doubts go, go from just kind of being just a tiny little crack to where they can become a serious impediment in our relationship with God. Where do doubts come from? Sometimes doubts are because of unanswered prayer. Have you ever had that? I had a guy recently talk to me in the foyer here and he was telling me uh, about a, a prayer that obviously went unanswered, at least in his mind. And uh, he built up the situation. He prayed about it. And it just seemed like the logical thing for God to do. And really it did when, when I was thinking about it. And th- there was an event happened and it, was in, it, it looked like at least you know, in, in, in a time frame where we are right now, it looked like a no. And as I looked into his eyes as he was telling me about it, I could see that there was just, there was, there was doubt. There was dis- disappointment which was taking root as doubt because of an unanswered prayer. And you might have had that. There may have been something that you've prayed about or somebody that you've prayed for and it didn't seem like you got an answer. The answer you got wasn't the one that you wanted and, and you, you begin to question God and then you begin to question, well... Is there really a God? That can happen when you have um, unexplained circumstances. Unexplained circumstances. When something happens to you or somebody else, maybe you hadn't even prayed about it, but something happens and you you begin to question the very nature of God. If God was really God, how how would He allow allow that to go on? Or maybe you're watching the news and you go, Ma, you know, why does God do something about that? Or or it, it could easily be an unexplained question. Unexplained question. Maybe you have a question about somebody or somebody comes up to you with a question. Or maybe somebody gives you a book. There's some books out right now by uh, guys called, uh, kind of collectively called the New Atheists. And there's some really bright guys who are writing books that are, you know, kind of undermining faith. And, and maybe you've read one or got a serious question and question causes you to doubt. Well, can I tell you this? that um, from years of experience, and I was one that came to Christ actually through a whole lot of questions, that um, 
If you dig and search hard enough, there usually are logical answers to questions, although it's impossible to understand an infinite being from a finite point of view. But you can usually find, find answers. But here, here, here's what I want to say. If you get one question right, the answer to one question right, then it's the foundation for everything. And the other questions will kind of fall in line with that. I'm not saying you don't research, but get this one right. Start with this one. It'll help you all the way through. And here it is. Here it is. Did Jesus really raise from the dead? That's the bottom line. Paul, the apostle, said in um, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, in verse 17, he said, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. Christ hasn't raised from the dead. Let's do something else. There's a lot more interesting ways than you can spend your time than an hour on the weekend and, you know, kind of following God. If Christ hasn't been raised... Let's cash it in. Let's sell the building. Let's do, do, do all that stuff. But on the flip side, if he has been raised, then it changes everything. So what's the answer to that? Here's the facts, as I know it. Every historian would agree on this, that there was a man named Jesus who lived in Israel about 2,000 years ago that gained a following who was crucified uh, in Jerusalem and who was buried and who died. Second fact, everybody, everybody kind of agrees on this, that he had quite a following, enthusiastic following, who when he died, they became discouraged, despondent. Some of them even quit. Third fact is this. There's a tomb that he was buried in that became empty two or three days later. Fourth fact is those same followers who were discouraged and despondent just a few days before claimed to have actually seen a risen Jesus. Not just one or two of them, but there were hundreds that claimed to have seen that. And as a result of seeing what they thought was a risen Jesus, they became zealous and encouraged to such a degree that a church was birthed and started that began to worship on Sunday rather than the Jewish Saturday Sabbath to celebrate the resurrection day. That church grew, transformed the entire area within just 300 years, literally became the dominant religion in the world. And over time, millions have come to be called Christians because of what those people said happened. As a result, the preaching of the resurrection became the dominant theme in the early years, as I said in the book of Acts. And much of that preaching happened right there in Jerusalem. James, who was Jesus' brother, was a doubter. How do you know younger brothers can oftentimes doubt their older brothers? Does anybody know anything about that? James was a doubter until he said, I saw Jesus risen from the dead. And then he became a believer immediately and ultimately became one of the leaders in the New Testament church. And just a few years later, Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, uh, had an, uh, an experience. Likewise, he believed in the appearance of the risen Jesus. Now, if this would have all been made up, somebody would have blown the whistle. How do you know that? How do you know it's hard to keep a secret? Anybody? 
with more than one person. Okay? It's hard to cover something up. You remember growing up as a kid? Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom. And we had three of us for quite a while, four, finally when my younger brother Chris was born. You could never count on three of us agreeing on any one thing if it wasn't true. We each had a different vision, even if it was true. If something wasn't true, somebody would have stepped up. People saw it. It was there in Jerusalem. Besides that, hundreds of them died as martyrs. Horrible deaths. Crucified like Jesus. Some crucified upside down. Some boiled in oil. Some had their skin torn apart. Some were fed to animals. And all they would have had to have done is say, you know what, it didn't happen. I didn't see Jesus but it made such an impact on their life. They couldn't deny it. Tim Keller said this, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything he said? But if Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. And it did. And because of the resurrection, even when you have doubts, and they can be big doubts. Let's go to the bottom line. Let's go to the big question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? He did. And because He did, you can be certain of your faith. Remember that. Let me give you a second benefit of the resurrection. It's this. Because of the resurrection, I can be confident of God's grace. Because of the resurrection, I can be confident of God's grace. How many of you have made at least one mistake in your past that you wish you could change? Okay? Three people right here. Boy, there were a bunch over here. This is really... I'm going to preach to you guys. Okay? Is that all right? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) At the campuses, hands are going up everywhere, especially at Irmo. I know how they are. (laughs) The fact is we've all blown it. I don't even measure up to my own standards, much less a holy God... So how does God deal with my past mistakes? Here's how he does it. He does it through a concept called grace. What is grace? Grace is when God gives you what you need, not what you deserve. It's called grace. Grace is when God forgives you even before you ask for forgiveness. It's called grace. Grace is when God forgives you the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time. It's when, you, when, when, when you're having to go back and ask forgiveness on the sixth time, you said, God would never forgive me. No, that's what you do. It's not what God does. Because God is gracious. It's hard for us to understand from a human point of view. True story. This guy was speeding one day in his car. He had late to get somewhere. Policeman pulled him over, going to write him a ticket. And the guy begins to beg. You know, you, you just beg in certain circumstances. You know what I mean? The guy says, you know, my insurance is going to go up and it's just not good. He's, Normally I'm a good driver and all this kind of stuff. Could you just give me a warning? The cop says, no. He says, he writes him a ticket. He says, you know what? If, if, you want, uh, if you want to argue your case, you go to court. Have a good day. The speeder as kind of a part-time job, was an umpire for baseball. He umped in the rec league there in his own community. And the next season, the very first game, true story, very first game, he begins to get ready to, to ump. And the first guy that comes to the plate, guess who it is? It's the cop. The cop looks back at the ump and suddenly there is a recognition. It's not good. And so he says to the ump, he says, 
hey, how'd your day in court go? To which the ump replied, swing at everything. <laughs> we have a hard time with grace, don't we? Ephesians 1.8 talks about God's grace. It says, God has showered down upon us the richness of His grace. For how well He understands us and knows what is best for us at all times. See, because we don't understand God's grace, we try to help His grace out. Uh, Debbie and I have four children and uh, grew up in our home here in Mount Pleasant. And, and so um, as they were growing up, we decided to hire a cleaning lady one year to kind of help out because kids can make a lot of, you know, stuff. And so uh, we hired a cleaning lady same, same day every week. Guess what we did the day before the cleaning lady came? <laughs> Deb and I cleaned the house. I'm thinking, this is the craziest thing I've We're paying for a cleaning lady. Why are we cleaning the house? You know what her answer was? Because we don't want them to think we're slobs. Well, we are. That's why we have a cleaning lady, okay? We do the same thing with God. I can't come to God like I am. I, you know, I, I hear this. I hear this. You know, I, hey, listen, I'm going to get my act together, but I've got to clean up some stuff before I can, you know. How crazy is that? God says, no. You come to me with all your stuff, all the stuff nobody else knows about, you and I know. And here's what we'll do. We'll we'll work it out together. That's called grace. Grace. Romans 3.22. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus to take away our sins. And we can all be saved the same way, no matter who we are or what we've done. Same way you trust in Jesus to take away your sins. You don't take away your own sins. Doesn't matter what your background is. I mean, you may be Catholic. You may be Baptist. You might be Methodist, Presbyterian. You might be Buddhist. You may have done things that, you know, you say, well, you know, preacher, you're naive. You don't know. No, that doesn't matter. Regardless of your background, we're saved by trusting in Jesus. So how do you receive God's grace? 1 Peter 1 and verse 3 says, because Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay, that's the resurrection. We have been given a brand new life. Circle brand new, will you? Brand new. And we have everything to live for, including the future in heaven. Anybody ever have one of these? It's called the telephone. Let's say it together. Telephone. Say it out loud. Telephone. This is one that somebody's grandparent had. This bad boy weighs about 10 pounds. (coughs) And also, um, thank God for pollen. That's what this is all about. Man, to dial this, you got to have strong fingers. Incredible. Let me tell you the worst thing about this bad boy. Hard to get him in your pocket. It really is. And then even if you could, you couldn't go very far because you got to be attached to the wall by one of these. You know, we all had one of these, some form of it. Here's what I love. Here's what I have now. One of these. It's an iPhone. I can talk on it. I can uh, check my email. I can surf the web. This is so cool. I would never go back to one of these. This is new technology. God says, I want to give you some new technology. I want to give you 
a spiritual iPhone. I want to give you a new life. You go, no, 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 no. I want to use this. I'll just, I'm, I'm fine with this. I'll just stay right here attached to the stuff that kind of I have to drag around. And God says, come on. Crazy. Who wouldn't accept God's new life? It's a gift. How do you get it? You don't earn it. It's a gift. He says, he says, it's been given to you. Let me summarize the Bible real quick. You were made by God for God to come into relationship with him. Here's the problem. He's perfect and you're not. How many of you would agree with that? Okay, one guy right back there. Good. Great. I'm going to give you an iPhone. How about that? God's perfect. You're not. Sin separates us from a holy God. And there's nothing we can do about it. So God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to become the penalty for your sin so that you could have relationship with Him. He says, I'll come to earth and I'll pay for it. And I'll give you something to live for. Because it gets old living for yourself. There's nothing at the end of it. I mean, you, you, you work, 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 work. You get to about midlife and you go, boy, is that all there is? Sometimes it doesn't take that long because there's, there's nothing in living for yourself. And he says, I'm going to give you something to live for. I'm going to give you a purpose in life. And so when you think about the resurrection, think about the certainty of your faith. You have doubts that Jesus rise from the dead. If he did, that's the bottom line. Think about God's grace. That in the resurrection, God showers you with grace. Let me give you one more thing. Because of the resurrection, I can be optimistic about my future. I can be optimistic about my future. How do you know that there are plenty of things to be pessimistic about right now? I mean, the unemployment has not gone down. I'm hoping we're out of a recovery. But, you know, we haven't felt it very much. And maybe next year is going to be better or maybe it won't. A lot of pessimism about a lot of things. But when you sit down and you really, really think about the resurrection, you can be enthusiastically optimistic about your future. Let me me tell you why. Here's what I'd like you to think about. I'd like you to think about the moment that Jesus rose from the dead. Can you imagine the power in that moment, the power that jump-started a man's heart that had been dead for three days? The power that blew the doors off of the tomb, rolled this stone that was maybe a couple of thousand pounds away. The power there? On Tuesday of this week, um, scientists in Geneva, Switzerland, were able to collide two atoms at a rate of speed unthought of and unheard of before. Trying to harness, what can we learn? How can we harness that power? There were a lot of people that were really... It was the Hadron Collider, I think it's called. A lot of people were really excited. were worried about it because of the power that would be generated might cause a black hole and the whole earth would suck in on itself and (laughs) our future would be changed just a little bit. Nothing would be the same. Well, can I tell you that 2,000 years ago there was an impact of power like the world has never known, that literally changed the course of history. A power so great that rose Jesus from the dead. What if you could harness that? Guess what? God did. God caused it. And here's what he said about it. Ephesians 1.19, he says, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of His power for us who believe in Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor 
at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. See, I can be hopeful because of God's promise of power. What he says is, is he says, if you'll come to me and if you'll receive my grace, if you'll believe that Jesus raised from the dead and you'll receive my grace, I will give you power. I'll tie you into a source of power for your entire life. You know, life's tough. Somebody said, life's tough, then you die. That's optimistic. But it is. Why did God make life so tough? Why did he allow it to be so tough? So that you would come to him. So that you would be drawn to him. So that you would experience his power. And God wants you to experience that power today. What kind of power? It's the power to change your life. It's the power to let go of guilt. It's the power to let go of grudges. It's the power to forgive yourself and others when you don't feel like you can. It's the power to start over when you've made a mess of things. It's the power to keep going when you're discouraged. Zechariah 4.6 says, You will not succeed by your own strength or power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord All-Powerful. Philippians 4.13, he says, For I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. Colossians 1.11, God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will not give up when troubles come. Isaiah 40 and verse 28 says, God never grows faint or weary. God never has a day when he gets up and says, I'm not going to go to work today. God never has a lack of strength. And he gives that power to those who are tired and worn out. Anybody tired and worn out here? He offers strength to the weak. Those that wait upon the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and they will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. If you're tired, you need to get plugged into the source of God's power. And how do you get God's resurrection power? You believe God and you trust Him for it. You come to know Jesus. And then maybe you are in a situation where you say, you know, everything I've tried relationally is just not working. And when you come to God with it, you say, God, it's just not working. I need your power. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Financially, it's not working. Business isn't working. Whatever. The family's not working. God, I need your power. I'm a guy that's walked with the Lord for a lot of years now. That job at Hewlett Packard was awesome. Thought it was going to last my whole life. Love the benefits there. But then I really committed my life to Christ. Now I could still work there. You can love Jesus and work for Hewlett Packard. I'm just saying that, Mr. Packard. But in my case, he redirected my career. While there were great benefits there, they pale in comparison to the benefits of knowing Jesus, of having a clean conscience. But when I blow it, to receive grace and forgiveness. Have power for everyday life. And all what? You know, I didn't even have time to talk about heaven. (laughs) This is not the best there is. This is Mount Pleasant. It's pretty good. But God's done a whole lot better in the future and He wants all of us to be part of His family. Would you bow right now for prayer? I just want to pray with you. Maybe you have doubts that are keeping you distant from God. Maybe you've never experienced God's grace or maybe you are a believer and you've You've allowed your bad choices, your mistakes to distance you from God. You think God can't forgive you? He can. Or maybe you're just worn out. I want to pray for you. God, right now, I just pray 
for these wonderful people that you care about. You care so much that you gave your son Jesus Christ to die for them 2,000 years ago. And Lord, now I just pray that you would just make this a moment where we encounter you. For some of us, this is going to be a moment like none we've ever had in our life as we connect with the most powerful thing in the universe. We give our lives to you. And so God, I pray that you would just guard this holy moment and guide us as we respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.